Amen. Lord, we do. We love you and we praise you. And we just thank you that one day we will see you face to face. And Lord, that you walk with us even now. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And Lord, we come humble and broken, wanting to be filled up with you. Lord, we ask you to be our teacher tonight. Lord, minister to every heart that is here. Nobody's here by chance. You brought us here tonight by divine appointment. Lord, may we be ready to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. If you are new here, I hope you feel welcomed and loved. And if you've been coming a long time, you know you're welcomed and loved already, right? Amen. 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 All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 18, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. We'll be looking at an entire book of the Bible on Sunday. I hope that doesn't scare you off. It's one chapter, Philemon. We just finished Titus last week. We'll be in Philemon this week. If you're new to Calvary, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. And that brings us tonight to 1 Samuel 18. By way of quick review, uh, let me encourage you, if you weren't here last week, get the CD, David and Goliath. What a great story. You can't hear it enough. It is phenomenal, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And again, it was, uh, if you weren't here, just real quickly, it was a a one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled shepherd boy. And while it was a one-sided battle, it wasn't one-sided in the way most people would think. Because you plus God is a majority. And when David entered into the camp, the Holy Spirit showed up. And we're 40 days and 40 nights, number of testing in Scripture. The whole army of Israel cowered at the the voice of 10-foot, 750-pound Goliath, ran away in fear, and up shows a shepherd boy just knowing that God is faithful. Didn't see a a 10-foot man against a mere boy. He saw a mere man against Almighty God. And God used him to go down and bring Goliath down. And as I said last week, imagine that picture. You know, 10 foot just falling to the ground and the dust kicking up in the air. And then the dust clears and there stands young shepherd boy David standing on top of Goliath's chest, holding his head up in the air. What a picture that was, right? Now, at that moment, we know that it brought out great boldness in the rest of Israel. Where for 40 days and 40 nights, they cowered in fear. Once somebody stood up for God responded because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden everybody got bold. And my encouragement to all of us is let us be David at work. You know, sometimes we need to stand up that other Christians might be encouraged in their faith to stand up with you. And God needs one to be the first one to stand up. So that brings us to tonight's chapter. And as we come to tonight's chapter, we're going to continue to look. We've been transitioning from Samuel to Saul, and now we're going to be moving from Saul to David. But right now, Saul, David was anointed king, as we know, but Saul is still reigning as king. We talked last week about the comparisons between Jesus and David and Saul and Satan. How, you know, Satan is is still the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this earth, but we know that ultimately the Lord is the king of the earth. He just allows Satan to have, have... have some rain here, here and now, only because he allows it. The same is true. David was anointed king, but Saul was still reigning. And the contrast we're going to see between them is you see a, a fleshly king that was called by men compared to a spiritually king chosen by God. One that was of outward appearance, one that had inward character. One who fearfully saw things from a physical perspective, one who faithfully saw things from a spiritual one. One whose focus was on the self-promotion that resulted in the loss of his anointing, and one whose focus was on glorifying God, and it resulted in him being anointed as king. One who was impatient and tried to force things to go his way, and one who patiently served and waited upon Almighty God. But here's the real key. 
Here's the real difference between these two, and we're going to see it in tonight's text. One filled with the Holy Spirit, one no Holy Spirit upon him anymore. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a specific task. And the Holy Spirit had come upon Saul. He had every opportunity to succeed. But because of his own flesh and his own fears and his own disobedience and his own impatience, the Holy Spirit was removed from him. David would later sing in the Psalms, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Here's the good news, guys. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit never, ever, ever leaves us. Amen? But we need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit if we are going to have an impact on the world around us. So tonight, we're going to continue to see the contrast between these two guys. Now, it's been said that you can tell the kind of person you are by the friends you have. But I believe it's also could be said that you can tell the kind of person you are by the people who choose to be your enemies. And we're going to see in tonight's text a lot about young David by who chooses to be his friend and who chooses to be his enemy. And we're going to see that there's a like-mindedness and there's a, there's a kindred spirit that David's going to have with another young man by the name of Jonathan. And as we see from the relationships in tonight's text, that blood may be thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? Amen. You know, guys, if you don't know this, we are a family. And I'm closer to many of you than I am people I'm blood-related to, because when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. And we're going to see in tonight's text that a son and a father are going to have completely different relationships with David, but their relationships are going to be based upon where they are spiritually. And we're going to see that clear contrast that carries over into our lives today. You can expect that just like in the world today, if you walk with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the same three things we're going to see in tonight's text, you'll see in your life every single day. One, you can have a supernatural bond of love with other spirit-filled believers. If you know the Lord, there is a supernatural bond between you and other believers in Christ. And you can experience and know that. But also know that there will be those who, because of fear and anxiety and jealousy and anger, are going to have a problem with you, simply because you love God. The Bible tells us very clearly that we are either friends of God and enemies of the world, or friends of the world and enemies of God. Which are you? Are you a friend of God? To be a friend of God doesn't mean you just know about God. It means you have an intimate relationship with Him. So the title of the message tonight, it's already on the screen because you're writing it down, I can tell. The Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. And we're going to see the varying responses to one who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Again, that supernatural bond of love with other Spirit-filled believers. We'll also see that the world recognizes when God's hand is upon someone. Even if they don't like it, they'll recognize it. And then thirdly, the anger, jealousy, suspicion, fear, and even hatred from those who walk in the flesh. Result will be that they'll do anything they can to silence, remove, or even destroy those who are serving God. Why? Because if you walk with God, people who don't know God see you as either a threat, a source of conviction, or somebody who's trying to, again, remove their position on the throne of their own lives. They don't want to hear about it. So, let's begin the text tonight. The Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. The varying responses to one who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit will begin by looking at a supernatural bond of love with other Spirit-filled believers. Look at verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, and if you'll recall that Saul wimped out when he was supposed to go fight Goliath. He was their champion. 
He was the guy they had cried out for. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. When Goliath, their champion, went down and called up for the champion, everybody, no doubt, looked at Saul and said, dude, isn't that why we made you king? But Saul would not go down. And he was so wimpy about it that he offered a bribe or a reward to say anybody who will go down and fight him and kill him, I will give him great riches, I will give him my daughter to marry, and his family will be free from taxes forever. So after David slays Goliath, not wanting any of those rewards, simply looking at things from a spiritual perspective, saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? He goes down, as we know, and he wins the battle. He then is brought by Abner after leading the children of Israel out to wipe out tens of thousands of the Philistines. Afterward, this teenage boy is brought back and brought to King Saul, and King Saul asks him who he is that his family might be free of taxes. Now, a couple interesting points. We already know that prior to this, David had been coming and playing worship for Saul because there was a distressing spirit, and when the worship came, the evil spirit would flee. Now here's the point, guys. Satan hates worship. And this is why you and I ought to be listening to praise music in our cars, not anything else. Amen? Because when we listen to other garbage, what does it do? It opens up, the frust- it opens up our, our minds and our thought process to everything else. But when we're spending time with Almighty God, Satan wants no part of you. And we can only focus on one thing at a time. At least I can. I'm pretty single-minded. And if I'm focused on the Lord, I don't get distracted. And so here we have, he was already playing for him, but yet he asked his name, he identifies who his family is, but obviously he spoke a great deal more. And we know that because when he gets done speaking, there's somebody who's been listening, who is blown away by what not only he saw David do, but what he heard David say. And that young man is a man by the name of Jonathan. Now, David sought no reward And I noticed that he was brought. You know, if you were going for the reward, as soon as you killed Goliath, where would you go? Straight to Saul. Dude, look, he's dead. Where's my stuff? Right? Great riches, daughter, no taxes. Right? And that's not what happened. He went out and kept fighting the battle, had to be brought to Abner, because his focus and his passion was not on the things of this world, but was being obedient to Almighty God. But eventually he does end up before Saul, and now they're having this communication. He's telling him all, finding out what family he's from. And David, you know, having stepped out in bold faith. Can you imagine, do you think, what do you think the topic of conversation was in Israel? You think anybody was talking about anything but David? I mean, David just killed Goliath after 40 days of everybody wimping out. Can you imagine? The guys are running back after the victory, going to their wives, going to each tent. And in every tent, the story was being retold over and over and over and over. And the way things are in the world, Goliath was probably 200 feet tall by the time they were done, right? But the point is that this, he was the only topic of conversation. Why? Because he had been faithful and obedient to Almighty God. So during the conversation, Jonathan is standing by... Jonathan, the son of Saul, and he not only has seen David go down and fight the giant, now he's heard the heart of David. And how does he respond? It says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now, Jonathan, again, was the son of the king. Remember back in 1 Samuel 14, this guy's heart was knit to David's heart because this guy was a lot like David. If you'll remember, he was just as brave. If you were not here for 1 Samuel 14, grab the CD, they're free. What happened? Jonathan 
with his armor bearer, obeys God, and goes out and fights all the Philistines by himself. There were two guys with swords in all of Israel, Saul and Jonathan. And Saul was sitting under a pomegranate tree pouting, right, the king. And Jonathan went and fought the Philistines by himself. And his statement was, whether by many or by few, God can bring a victory. And so what happened, Jonathan went out and climbed up on his hands and knees. And once he got to the top, God brought a great earthquake. They turned on themselves and started killing each other. And God brought a great victory by one guy who was willing to step out. That's David, isn't it? David stepped out against Goliath. Jonathan stepped out against the entire Philistine army. Is it any wonder that these guys' hearts were knit together? Their hearts were knit together because they had the Holy Spirit in common. Their hearts were knit together. You know what? It's interesting that I love this story because Jonathan did what he did in secret. And if you guys will remember, some people knew about it, but Saul took the credit for it. And now David has gone down, and as we're going to see, people are going to sing praise songs about David. And Jonathan could very easily have been jealous. He could have very easily been, well, what about when I went and fought the Philistines? How come no one's singing about that? How come nobody's mentioning me? You know what? When somebody is truly filled with the Holy Spirit, they don't care who gets the credit. They just want God to be glorified. They don't care if anybody remembers their name. They don't care about any of it. They just want God to be glorified. And Jonathan is stoked because God's being glorified. That's all he's worried about. Not worried about his name being magnified or lifted up. Jonathan and David were young men of like passions. They both stepped out courageously in faith against an overwhelming enemy. They were both young men of action. They were both young men who saw with spiritual eyes, not physical ones. And most importantly, they were both young men who had a real relationship with God. In this room tonight, there are people who think they have a relationship with God. And guys, it's not enough to believe there is a God. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Are you filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? Is He on your thought process 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? Is every thought being filtered through the Holy Spirit in your life? Every, every word coming out of your mouth, every action that you take. That's someone who's really been you know, saved real good, as my dad would say. Amen? Holy Spirit got a hold of your life completely. And no doubt there's some here tonight that maybe you walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer, but your life hasn't changed much. That's not Christian faith. We're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Jonathan was a radically different human being. David was a radically different human being. They saw Jesus in each other and their hearts were knit together. I've told you, I've had relationships with people at line at Disneyland that are closer than someone I'm related to. You meet them in line by the time you get to the front because you got Jesus in common. You're brothers, you're sisters, amen? amen? There's just such a great commonality there. That's why I love you guys so much. Because we got Jesus in common. And look what it says. Their hearts were knit together, the soul of David, and the soul of Jonathan. It said, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You know what? Most of mankind longs for a true and deep friendship with somebody else. But sadly, most people look in the wrong place. Jonathan was drawn to David because he saw in his actions and in his words, heard in his words, his supernatural love for God. That's what attracted him. You know what he saw? That guy loves God. 
That guy's got the Holy Spirit in him. I want to spend time with that guy. You know what? I went down to the pastor's conference about eight or nine months ago. A bunch of, several of the guys went with us, and there was a guy there by the name of Ross Rhodes. I'd never heard of him before. He came out and started speaking. He was two minutes into his first message, and I said, man, I love this guy. <laughs> this guy just so filled with the Holy Spirit, I can hardly stand it. And I thought, man, I, man, I want to I hang out with that guy. And I thought, how many more? He's speaking three more times. You know what? He's coming to do our men's retreat next year. Let me encourage you, everybody come. And then he's going to be here on Sunday morning. How often do I let someone else teach for me on Sunday morning? Pretty much never, right? Unless I'm in India or something, right? But this guy, you know, you know what I saw? I saw the Holy Spirit in him. And I thought, man, I want to hang out with that guy. Because we got the Holy Spirit in common. This is what Jonathan saw when he saw David. It was the commonality of the Holy Spirit that had knit their hearts together. These two young men, one heart beating for the Lord. They were young men of like passions, kindred spirits, and a supernatural bond for each other. It says in Matthew 22, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Supernatural love loves others in a self-sacrificing way, and it puts others above ourselves. It esteems others greater than ourselves. This is the kind of love they had for each other, and that's the kind of love we should have for each other. Amen? Amen? This was not just some supernatural thing between two guys a long time ago. It was a great example, but guess what? It ought to be in the heart of every believer today. I thought of many of you in this room when I was reading and studying this today, the last couple of days. I thought about some of your friendships and your relationships that you have with each other. It's so obvious that God has gripped you guys and put you together. I see it, of course, in marriages, but I see it in friendships as well. What a powerful thing when we have the Holy Spirit in common. Jesus, Jonathan's actions are going to prove his love for David. It's one thing to say you love somebody, and it's another thing to live like it. It's one thing to say you love Jesus, it's another thing to live like it. It's, not, it's one thing to say that you have a supernatural love and your heart is knit to another brother or sister in Christ, and it's another thing to live like it. You know what, I love this again because Jonathan could have felt threatened. Who was the next king, rightfully, according to man's rules? Who was it? Jonathan. But Jonathan is not going to feel threatened by David. He's going to be blessed to know him. Because again, he's not worried about promoting himself. He could have been jealous, but again, he didn't see this shepherd boy horning in on his gig, but he saw a spirit-filled man of God, one of like passion, who he wanted to spend time with and serve the Lord alongside. And again, guys, we all tend to gravitate toward people of like passions, don't we? So who do you gravitate toward? What do you have in common with your friends? Is it your career? Is it a common hobby? Is it the fact that your kids go to the same school? Or is it the fact that you have Jesus Christ in common? That needs to be the focus. Now, I'm not saying we, we can't meet people through hobbies. And I'm not saying we can't you know, see people at the Little League field where we have kids in common. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the thing that ought to knit us together is a common passion for Jesus. That's the thing that will last and outlast this life. Now look what it says in verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Guess what? Saul too sees God's hand on David. But he responds in a totally different way than Jonathan. Jonathan knit his heart to David, was willing to lay down his life for David. And Saul saw David as an opportunity, as a piece of army machinery, if you will, that he could use to promote his agenda. 
I'm going to hold on to this guy because I've seen that he can do great things. I've seen that God's hand is on him. I can use that for my benefit. Now, it's interesting because before David would come and play for Saul when the distressing spirit came, but then he would go home and tend the sheep until he was called for again. Now having defeated Goliath, Saul says, David, you're not going anywhere. You're staying with me from now on. And you know what? We're going to see that it's not a kindred spirit that brought him there, and he's not going to want him there for long. Because unlike Jonathan, who did not become envious of David, Saul is going to. And Saul will, because Saul is looking at things simply from the outward appearance. The anointing of God's hand upon our lives will generate different responses from men. Some will see it and desire fellowship, as they have the Spirit too. Some who do not have the Spirit will see it and be blown away by something in your life that's missing from theirs and want to know what you have. What's different about you, man? How come we're all going through the same thing and you have joy and none of us do? What's different about you? But others will see the Spirit upon you and will react in either fear or anger. Saul brought David into his house to keep an eye on him. The anointing had left Saul. Samuel had placed judgment upon him. David had performed the king's duty in slaying Goliath. The spirit fled when, David's worshipped, when David worshipped. And David now had great riches and earned the king's daughter's hand. And you know what? Saul wanted to keep him near. For it say, keep your friends close and your enemies close. And I think that was Saul's mentality here. Verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. The word in Hebrew there for covenant means to cut a covenant. It was a binding, lifelong promise to one another, sworn before witnesses. If you remember in the Old Testament, they would take an animal and they would cut it in half and they would put the animal on each side and they would walk between it. And what they were saying is this is a covenant, lifelong covenant, and if we break this covenant, what has happened to these animals will happen to us. And we're making this sacrifice and we're doing it before Almighty God. And this was the friendship covenant that David and Jonathan were making one to another and everybody around them knew it. David and Jonathan's bond was supernatural, each filled with the Holy Spirit, each viewing things from a spiritual perspective. And their covenant of this, of this godly friendship and brotherhood would prove stronger than any jealousy, any envy, or any ambition. You know, when someone's truly committed to somebody else, again, the ambition and the envy and the jealousy go away. So there's this covenant bond between them. By the way, Saul's not a big fan of this. Doesn't like this much. His own son giving up, in a sense, his birthright. Look at verse 4. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David. Now, you need to understand something. In those days, the robe was the sign of authority. And in those days, instead of stripes on their arm like you see in the military, you know you know someone's a corporal or a general, whatever they might be, by how many stripes a major that's on their shoulder. In those days, the longer the fringe on the person's robe recognized the amount of authority that they had. And so in Jonathan taking off his robe and putting it on David, he was saying, I'm giving you the authority that was coming to me. He's recognizing, I am not the true person in line to be king. David, you are. And he took off his robe and he put it upon David. He loved each, they loved each other 
And they loved God more than the throne. And that's Jonathan's heart. He loved God more than the throne. He loved David more than the throne. Throne meant nothing. God meant everything. And this is God's will, so we're going to do it. Jonathan was willing and in submission to the Lord and giving away his authority. Jonathan gave up his authority to David. But look, look what he gave him next. It says there, he gave him, took off his robe and gave it to David with his armor. The armor was the thing they used to defend themselves. And Jonathan takes off his armor. Now remember, we talked about this. They didn't have the ability, the children of Israel, to make weapons. Remember, there were only two swords. Now, they probably got a lot more swords now because they killed all the Philistines, took their swords, right? Not all of them, but a lot of them, right? So they've got some swords now. But the point is, he took off the very thing that allowed him to be defended, and he gave it to David instead. He's basically saying, my life, to me, is not as valuable as yours. Gave him his armor. I also find it interesting that Saul's armor didn't fit, but Jonathan's did. Remember, they tried to put Saul's armor on him. You know why? Because Saul was an ungodly man. Saul was a man trying to do things in a physical way. But when it came to someone who did it from a spiritual perspective, it fit perfectly. That's how our God is. We do things God's way, it fits perfectly. Man's way, it never does. Not only did he give him his armor, but even to his sword. Remember again, there were only two swords in Israel. Now, as I said, they probably have more now. They've defeated the Philistines. But there were only two swords in Israel, and here he is giving up his sword to David. I'm giving you my robe. I'm giving you my armor. I'm giving you my sword. I'm giving you everything of value. I'm giving you the thing that defends me. I'm giving you the very thing that I use as an offensive weapon. I'm giving it all to you, David. This is the heart of someone who's truly laying down his life for another. His bow, it says also, even to his sword and his bow, the other offensive weapon. He surrendered all his means of attack to David. Even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, belt might not seem like a big deal, but you need to understand back in those days, the only way they could move quickly was they wore robes. So they would have to take the ends of the robe and they would stick it in their belt, gird their loins so they could move quickly. You give your belt away and you try to run in a robe, it's not pretty. And so the point was, he was literally making himself defenseless in giving everything that he had to David. I'm giving it all to you. And you know what? Isn't that a picture of what we need to be doing when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? Lay it all down at his feet. Lord, I put my life, my everything, my all in your hands because you know what? That's what Jesus did that you and I might have eternal life. Amen? And I love this picture this supernatural love between these two young men. Jonathan, in a sense, was saying, you know what, I'm giving you my belt. I'm not going anywhere, David. I'm going to be right here with you. I'm going to hang with you. We're brothers, and, and, and we're going to follow God together, and we're filled with the same Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood, bearing responses to one who walks in the fullness of the Spirit. The first thing we see there is a supernatural bond of love with other Spirit-filled believers. And you know what? Can I tell you the reason we have things like agape feast, the reason why we have, you know, Cokes and donuts after church? The main reason we have that stuff is so we can hang out and begin to knit our hearts together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And my prayer would be that we'd be calling each other throughout the week, that we'd be ministering, we'd all be using the gifts that we have. This is all the body of Christ. The second thing we see is a recognition of God's hand upon your life from others. Look at verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Now again, look at David. 
Who's, who's been anointed king? David. Who has been a disaster of a king? Saul. Who has the Holy Spirit upon him? David. Who has the Holy Spirit departed from? Saul. Now, here's the interesting part. David just slayed Goliath. Do you think the people might think a lot of David right about now? And Saul was the guy who wimped out and didn't go down. Do you think David could have had like a coup at this point? What do you think? Could have got all the people together and go, you know that king you got? Now, did he wimp out or what? How, how's he working out for you? Not too good, right? And didn't he enslave your families just like Samuel told him? Well, let me tell you a secret. Samuel came and anointed me king, and that's why I went down and fought Goliath. And then you all followed me, and we smoked the Philistines, and it was me that led you, right? It wasn't him, was it? Okay, so let's get together and kick this guy out. What do you say? David could have done that. You know what David did? He obeyed Saul. He obeyed Saul. Wow. Next time that boss who's a jerk tells you what to do and you don't like it, remember David. Amen? Oh, yes, Lord. It's the authority God's put in my life for a reason, and I'm going to obey. You know what? It's real easy to obey when you agree. It's not really, it doesn't really take much, does it? It doesn't take submission when you agree. Submission is when you don't like it, and you do it anyway. And here you have David, and it says, He went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. He didn't just go and show up. He did his best, and he did it in a godly way. He behaved wisely. He didn't just say, well, I have to go, I guess. All right, well, I'll just go out and do it halfway, because that guy's a jerk. You know what? And we can do that at work, and God does not want us to do that. Amen? Amen. Here's an example of David. And he's to go out and represent the Lord. And we represent Jesus Christ when we drive our cars, when we go to work, when we're in the grocery store, wherever we are, we're representing the Lord. He didn't seek to sabotage the fleshly king or to assert his own kingship. David instead submitted completely in every way and he faithfully served his boss. He worked hard to bless this man who was the God-given authority. So what does Saul do with him? And Saul sent him over the men of war. Well, yeah, that makes sense. If you're the guy in charge and you don't like to fight and you got a guy who's already proven he's better at fighting than you, put him in charge of the army. That's a good idea, right? So he takes David. Now, here's the interesting part. you got to remember that David is a young teenager, 12, 13 years old, 15 at the oldest, Young man. Now, can you imagine if you've got an army and up comes a 14-year-old kid and says, I'm in charge. <laughs> now, his brothers already had this happen in the last chapter and told him to go home and watch those few sheep. Remember? Oh, get your cheese and go home. Just go, go watch your sheep, right? Remember that? But you know what? These people recognize that even though he's a young man, that there's something different about him because look what it says. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people. Also in the sight of Saul's servants. That means the leaders in his government. The, the leaders in the government, all the, the warriors who were out there ready to fight, this teenage boy shows up. He's been put in charge by Saul, and nobody questions it one bit. Oh, yeah, you're the guy. Yeah, that's true. No, no question. Now, here's the point. When God's hand is upon you, other people recognize it. When the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you and you're living sold out for God, people who don't even know God or aren't walking with God recognize there's something different about you. Because there is something different about us, amen? amen? And people ought to see it. All the people, even the servants, and I love this, recognize the power of God. Again, the promotion of this shepherd boy to general, and nobody flinches. You know what, though? Most of them had probably been there when David went down and slayed Goliath. 
right? Well, I didn't go, and you didn't go, and we didn't go. He went, right? And he won, so yeah, that's, yeah. we'll probably have him in front, I'm thinking, right? We might run into Goliath's twin brother, you know, and David in front is probably good, right? Let's, let's have him lead the way. But again, it really comes down to the fact that they saw that this was a man whose God hand was upon. Verse 6 and 7. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines with joy and musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten ten thousands. Uh Uh-oh. Now, if the song had ended with Saul has slayed his thousands, he would have thought, that's right. That's good. Yeah, that's a good song. You know, that's make out our national anthem. Everybody sing that, you know. But he didn't like verse 2. David has slayed his ten thousands. Now, David's popularity with the people soon surpassed even that of King Saul. And when the people sang and danced in your honor, you know what? You're a popular guy. And this is David, and notice, David has done nothing to promote himself. Nothing. He's asked for no position. He has done no striving, no driving, nothing. What has he done? Obey. Holy Spirit tells him to go, he goes. Sees something through spiritual eyes, realizes no one's stepping up, obeys the Holy Spirit, does what God says, and when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? Amen? He was just being obedient. He was seeking nothing but God's name being glorified. And now people are magnifying and and singing praises about him. Now, David, though he never sought man's approval, need to know something. This is a time of temptation for David. Because when people start to sing your praises, danger, danger. Because you can start to think you're pretty special. Now, you are special to God. You are his treasured possession. He'd rather die than live without you. But... Without him, you can do nothing. And he gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise and all the worship. And there's a temptation when you step out in obedience and God brings fruit and people start telling you what a godly man, what a godly woman, how anointed, how gifted you are for you to start to think that you're something special. Touch not the glory. The reason Satan was cast out of heaven is he tried to take God's position on the throne. Guys, he alone is on the throne. As you heard me say before, so I'll say it again, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. He alone should be glorified. His name alone should be magnified. Here's the temptation. People are singing songs about you, David. And you did whip Goliath, and Saul's pretty much a chump, and we all know it. So why don't you just go ahead on? You've been anointed. We all know it. Hey, anointed. Samuel came to your house, poured oil on your head. Bro, go get him. By the way, if you have to tell people you're an, I'm anointed, if I hear, I want to throw up. I just want you to know I'm anointed. Oh, stop already. Don't ever prop yourself up at all. Amen? Amen. Just magnify Jesus' name. If God has gifted you, everyone will know it. Everybody knew David was gifted. He's not told anyone to, to recognize it. Now, guess what? Someone's not going to be very happy about this, as we know. But you know what I love about David. When David was fighting the lion and the bear to protect the sheep, nobody sang songs about him, and nobody really knew it, right? But he did it for the Lord anyway. And now that people are singing about him, he still has the heart of a shepherd. He still doesn't want to touch the glory. 
He's still doing it for God. And you know what? This is why I believe more times than not, we need to be faithful in the small things before God's going to use us in the greater ones because He wants us to do it when nobody's watching. Because then our hearts and our priorities and our motivation is tested, isn't it? When we serve in the most mundane thing. I used to tell you that people would show up in San Jose all the time or in Southern California where the youth groups were, were growing and, and, and being blessed and God was doing great things. And people would always show up and want to be in charge. And I would encourage them, well, I'm called and I'm gifted. I got this anointing I've got from God for children, for youth, you know, and you just need to step aside and let me take over, you know. And I would say, you know what, bro, We'd let, we need some help. Why don't you come early next week and set up chairs? Oh, man, I'm not called to do that. Oh, set up chairs? No, I have to be in the front, you know what I mean? And the point is, if you're not willing to follow, you will never lead. Amen. God will never use you to lead one person if you're not willing to follow faithfully and have a heart of a servant. That's where it begins, a servant's heart. And David kept the heart of a shepherd. He would not be swayed by the praise of men. And, you know, praise God for his example. So, the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. The varying responses to one who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, a, spirit, a supernatural bond of love with other spirit-filled believers, recognition of God's hand upon your life from others. And guess what? Here comes the third one. And, it, and I think that it's interesting that out of 30 verses, 22 are spent on this. Because this is pretty prevalent and how people respond when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Anger, jealousy, suspicion, and fear, and even hatred from those who walk in the flesh. Look at it says in verse 8. Then Saul was really blessed that David's name was... No, that's not what it said. <laughs> then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. What's up with that? You know, Saul's character is shown... And that the only thing he wants to make sure of is he is the man most glorified. While David sought only God to be glorified, Saul is bitter and angry that he's not being glorified enough. He is being praised, right? Saul has slayed his thousands. He's in the song. He's verse 1, right? But, he's, but at the same time, he's bummed out that he's not being glorified enough. And you know, that's a trap we can fall into as Christians. I'm serving God and nobody's recognizing it. You know, that other guy doesn't do as much as me, and everybody notices, but when I do stuff, nobody really pays attention. What's up with that? Right? Ouch for a few of us. Oh, that hurt, right? But the truth is, if our motivation is right, it won't matter if anybody ever notices. It won't matter, because you're doing it for Jesus. How do you respond when God blesses someone else? I didn't walk with God longer than that guy. What's up with that? You've been saved like three months. I've been saved 20 years. No, man. What's up with that? You know what, guys? I don't want God to give me any more, not one nickel more than I can have and keep my eyes on Him. Amen. Sometimes what we call a blessing is the very thing that will get our eyes off of Him. And that's what could happen to David here. People singing His praises, and before you know it, oh, we need to make sure, Lord, don't give me any more. Don't give me one nickel more than anything that's going to take my eyes off of you. Sign of weakness when a leader is threatened by the success of another. And that's what we see in Saul. He's being threatened. You know what? The funny part is, he's being treated way better than he deserves. Nobody should be singing anything about him. He should have been kicked to the curb a long time ago. When it, 
What kind of king are you? You're not even anointed anymore. Holy Spirit left you, pal. You were hiding under the pomegranate tree in one fight, and your son went out. You took the credit for that. David fought Goliath. What have you been up to? Why are we singing about you at all? You're out of the first verse. You're out of it completely. Just wiping you out of the Wiping you out. He should have been stoked that they mentioned him at all. You know what? And the same is true for us. The fact that we even get to be used by God, we ought to be stoked. And the fact that he sees it is all that matters. And we ought to be blessed. Then he says this. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? That's it. Amen. There it is. Right out of your mouth, Saul. Bingo. You didn't even know you were a prophet, did you? He says, now what more can he have but the kingdom? What, left, what, what else is there for him to take? He already fought the Goliath and beat him. He's already head of my army now. He's already got people singing songs about him. What's left? He's going to be the king next? Yes. That's exactly what's going to happen. You know what? Saul is angry and bitter that he's not being glorified enough. And now he realizes, oh, you know what? Samuel told me that I was going to lose the kingdom. And I've been kind of looking for the guy that I thought might be the guy to take the kingdom. Oh, you know, I think it's him. Saul, you're not as thick as I thought you were. You do at least recognize God's hand upon somebody. You know what? David now appears to be the obvious candidate. Again, filled with the Holy Spirit, defeated Goliath, the mighty warrior. When he sang praise songs, the, the distressing spirit fled, and now people are singing songs about him. So what does Saul do? He repents and, does, and, and elevates David to the throne and starts serving God. No, verse 9. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. The word eyed there, he means he viewed him with suspicion. From that day forward, he looked at him with an evil, spiteful, and envious eye. Keep my eye on you, boy. That's what he did. From that day forward, eyes on you, man. You know what? I, I, you come for my job. And, and here's David. Nothing but humility. In no way has shown a desire for what Saul had. Verse 10. And it happened the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside his house. Now. Saul was tortured by an evil spirit. We talked about this last week. It says a spirit from God. I do not believe it is a spirit of God. I believe God allowed a distressing spirit to come because when the worship played, the spirit fled. If it was a spirit from God, the spirit would not flee. It would stay and join in. Amen? Amen. But we see the spirit leaves, but the only way the spirit can leave is when he goes and gets David. Now, it's interesting. It says he prophesied inside of his house. That word can trouble you a bit, but I looked it up in the original language. And it can be used of idle, ra- idle raving as well as prophecy from the Lord. In the New Living Translation, they translate it this way, this verse. The very next day, in fact, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave like a madman. I think that's an accurate translation. He just started babbling to himself. Uh, uh, right? He, you know, he wasn't prophesying words of God. He had lost his mind. He's got an evil spirit upon him, and he's lost it. So Saul's babbling like a man, not in his right mind, and here comes David. If there needs to be more contrast between these two guys, now look what it says. And he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. So every time the distressing spirit would come, if David was trying to get to Saul, what would be the best thing for him to do right about here? Not show up. He's babbling like a madman. I'm going to go have lunch. Too bad for Saul. <laughs> Hope he kicks your tail, pal. I'm not to show up. I won't even be there. I'll have an alibi. I'll just be going down here, hanging out with the guys in the army. Too bad for you. You know what he does? He shows up 
and plays worship to bring relief to Saul. You don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. Amen? But watch this. David's playing worship, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. So David's got a harp, really more like a guitar, in his hand, playing worship, a stringed instrument, playing worship, and Saul's over there with a spear in his hand. Can you imagine leading worship and a guy's got a spear aimed at you? Now, if there was a reason to leave already, that would be good enough, right? I'm out of here. Okay, I, I showed up. God, God can't blame. I showed up. I played the music. Dude, got a spear. Look at verse 11. And Saul cast the spear. For he said, I will pin David to the wall. He said, I will pin David to the wall. There's no wondering what he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to kill a gnat that was on the wall. He was trying to kill David. Now, here's an interesting part of this text. Look what it says. But David escaped his presence twice. That means he was playing music. He threw a spear at him. He left. He came back again and played music. He threw another spear at him. He went back after he had a spear thrown at him. Man, you know what? Any of us do that? My boss taught me, I quit. That's it. I'm not not going back there. (laughs) You imagine your boss shoots at you. You go back to work the next day? <laughs> All you're doing is, you know, Jesus loves you. Bang, 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 misses you. Go back to work the next day. You know what? Let me, re- let me remind you what I was telling you about yesterday. Jesus, bang, bang, right? That's modern day. This is what's happening. David goes, he's just playing worship music, and the guy's throwing spears at him. And he makes it really clear, I'm pinning you to the wall, pal. And he went back. Maybe some of us need to go back to work, some of these places we've quit. Maybe God's not done with us there yet, amen? He escaped his presence twice. You know why? Now, the interesting part, David, what would you, how would you, here's how I probably would have responded. First of all, I don't know if I'd have showed up. I probably would have had the coup working. That's just, you know what I mean? That's what we do. But here's what I, he throws his spear. You know, David's already proven to be a pretty good warrior. I have an idea. He could have pulled that spear out of the wall and thrown it back, Right? No, and he's not out of his mind, and he could have just run it right through him. He threw it first. You guys saw it. You guys were all here. I'm totally innocent. He threw it first. I threw it back. Self-defense. You know, we can make excuses for why we lash out at others. But as we saw on Sunday in Titus chapter 3, speak evil of no one. Right? But he threw a spear. It doesn't matter. Speak evil of no one. That's a great example we learn from young David. Guys, we're indestructible until God's through with us. Amen? Amen. Nothing in the world can do to us until God says so. David understood that. And he kept going back and being faithful. Verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. You know what? Saul had spears, was afraid of David with a harp. Right? This guy's got a harp, man. He scares me. You know what it is? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit upon him. God's hand was upon David. You know, Jonathan recognized, Jonathan and Saul recognized the same thing in in David. But Jonathan, seeing from a spiritual perspective, saw David as a blessing to Israel. Saul, seeing from a physical perspective, saw him as a physical and personal threat. The perspective we have on life is based solely on where we're at spiritually. Where's your heart? will reflect how you see life. If you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what happens around you. God's still in control. It's okay. Amen? God's faithful. He's bigger than that. He created the universe. My best friend created the universe. What do I got to worry about? Amen? Put the stars in the sky. 
People get all excited about a satellite. We got the satellite up in this. It's almost got to Mars now. We're really proud of ourselves. Oh, good for you. You know what? God went, stars, there they were. I just like that. More than the sand on the seashore, right? Amen? That's the God we serve. We get all impressed with ourselves. When we get impressed with God, amen? Verse 13. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand and went out and came in before the people. You know what happened? He was so afraid of this guy, didn't know what to do with him, threw spears at him, it wasn't working. He said, just get this guy out of here. I don't even want him around me. And you know what? Maybe if I send him out to fight battles, one of the Philistines will get him. So why don't I just send him out of here because I don't want to see him. And this is what the world will do sometimes when you're standing for God. They want to get rid of you. You know, you just being around me, I don't like it. It's kind of convicting. I don't like it when you... Have you ever noticed how people will apologize to you when they take God's name in vain? Have you ever noticed that? If you're a bold Christian, they'll go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And I'll go, you didn't swear about me, right? You should be sorry, but I'm the wrong guy to apologize to. Amen? You took his name in vain. He's available. You can, you can tell him right now. Amen? But you know what happens? It's amazing. They'll swear up a storm. And then it would be, I'd be on sales calls and when I was still working full-time and being a pastor. And I'd start talking to guys. They'd be cussing. Wah, 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 right? And then they'd find out I was a pastor. Oh. I mean, you just see the... Oh, really? Oh, oh you're a pastor. You? Oh. And, it, it, and the Christian face. You know. Yeah, me too, brother. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You know what I mean? They put on the Christian faith. And the point is that there's this you know, trying to play up to Christianity. People don't want you around if you're walking and on fire for God because it's convicting. And Saul got to the point, get him out of here. He's playing out worship music and I can't hit him with a spear and I can't get him mad and he just keeps overcoming evil with evil. Get on my nerves. Get him out of here. Verse 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. David gets sent packing, and he doesn't start a revolt. He goes out and serves King Saul faithfully after being shot at, after having spears thrown at him, right? Your boss shoots at you, and then you go out and do the best you can to make him as much money as you can. I'm going to go out and be a faithful... I'm going to work extra... I'm going to work through lunch for my boss who shot at me this afternoon. I mean, this is David going out and faithfully serving God in spite of the attitude of his boss. Notice this, though. He behaved very wisely. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear God, you can have no wisdom. Look at verse 15 and verse 16. It says, but all Israel, oh wait a minute, therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. You know what? As the more wise he was, the more faithful he was, the more Saul feared him. And the more on fire for God you get, the more the world's going to have a problem with you. The more sold out for the Lord, the more they want to quiet you down. Dude, just, just take a chill pill, man. Just dial it back, man. You're not going to be so sold out for God, man. Check your Christianity. I've had Christians tell me, check your Christianity at the door, man. You know, you're at work now. Be a Christian after work. I'm like, how does that work out? So if you die while you're at work, where do you go? If you checked your Christianity at the doors, how, how does that work out? Guys, we're not salesmen, housewives, teachers, electricians, police officers who happen to be Christians. We're Christians who happen to be salespeople, homemade. You know what I mean? Amen? Amen. You're a Christian first. You can't kick Christ out of me. 
And here's David. David is just so in love with God, so on fire for God, so faithful that it just brings fear into the heart of Saul. He can hardly stand it. This guy is so wise. It's just driving me nuts. I can't even touch. I, I don't know how to respond to him. David, the people loved this man because he was faithful and diligent on their behalf unlike their self-centered king. David's going out and just serving God and being faithful. And all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came before them. It means he went out and fought battles for them and came back. And went out and fought battles and came back. And went out and fought battles and came back. And they thought, man, we love this guy. What a faithful guy. And he wants nothing from us. He's not enslaving our children or anything. Verse 17. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merib. I give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Now remember, he had already been promised the daughter when he killed Goliath. And now he's saying, well, before you get the daughter, you got to go kill some Philistines too. And David could have said, well, that's just not fair. When you hired me, you told me if I got the job done, you were going to pay me this much. And now you're reneging and telling me I got to do more work before I get paid. I'm not, oh, that's just not right. David just goes, okay, fine, I'll do that. And again, I, I, how many of us would struggle with that? Uh, well, I, that's not what you said when you hired me. That's not what happened. You told me, and I, I remember, and I'm not dumb. What are you talking about? You know what he says? Okay, fine. Philistines, no problem. Where do you want me to go? Look at this. So David said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? Wow. You know what he says? He doesn't say, you ripped me off, man. You promised me when I killed Goliath. You know what he says? Who am I that you would even let me marry your daughter? I don't even deserve it. I'm not worthy to be the son-in-law to the king. Humility personified in young David. Saul tries to provoke David. Saul's trying to send him out to be slain. And what does David do? He responds in humility before God. Verse 19, but it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholite, as a wife. You know what happens? He reneges on what he said he was going to do. He said, I'll, make her, I'll give you her for a wife if you kill Goliath. He kills Goliath, and he says, well, I'll give you her for a wife if you kill some Philistines. David responds in humility, and then while he's out fighting, he gives his wife, his soon-to-be wife, his betrothed wife, to another guy. Now, this is Papa Cap time now, right? Now David's just going to lose it, right? He's just going to go, okay, that's it. All right, you know what? I've been patient enough. 70 times 7, I think it's been about 490 times now. I'm, I'm going after you. All right, Saul, that's it. I'm a, I got a good case. I'm going to tell all my friends all the things you did, and now I'm coming. That's not what happens. Verse 20. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her to him. That, he, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. Now, he already lied to him once. He told him when he killed Goliath, he'd have, he'd have one of his daughters. He gave that daughter away. We don't see any response, any anger, any anguish on the part of David. All he does is faithfully serve. And now he comes to him again, and now his daughter Michael loves David. Now, I find it interesting that, David's, or, that Saul's son... Jonathan and Saul's daughter, Michael, both love David. I like that. His son and daughter both love David, and he wants to kill him. Why? Because Saul is a man who's physically focused and is only worried about promoting himself. 
And this is how, don't be surprised when the world acts like Saul. We shouldn't be surprised when someone who doesn't know God acts like they don't know God. Amen? When dogs bark, we don't go, what is happening? What is that, dog? What is that animal doing? Dogs bark. And people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? Amen. And so we ought to act like we do know God. Now watch this. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and a lightly esteemed man? Now, if one of us said it, we would be fishing for a compliment, right? False humility. Well, really, I'm nothing. I'm ugly and fat. Really, I'm, I'm not, I have no abilities. And, oh, no, you're really, you're wonderful. Oh, no, no, really, I'm not, you know. <laughs> David means it. You know what he says? Who am I to be the king's son-in-law? I'm a farmer boy. I got no money. I'm nothing. I'm of no esteem. Who am I? How can I be the king? Look at the humility that continues in God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Because this guy is humble, God's using him. What a lesson for us. And the servants of Saul told them, saying, In this manner David spoke. Now watch this. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred... No, wait a minute. But one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies... But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. The only reason he wants Michael to be his wife, that she'd be a snare. And now he asks for a dowry that he thinks will be destruction. Because for the Philistines, being circumcised is the worst thing in the world because it's a covenant to Almighty God. And he says, I want a hundred foreskins from Philistines. So even if he gets away with it, he's going to have, be so angry, the Philistines are going to be so angry at him, they won't sleep till they kill him. Now, there are times when I want the Bible to be illustrated this, this is not one of them. <laughs> have you ever read stuff in the Bible and you thought, man, I'd love to have a picture of that, you know? David fighting Goliath, that'd be sweet. This one, yeah, let's just let that go by, right? <laughs> so Saul's whole point here is to destroy David. Look what David does. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well. What? Dude, are you out of your mind? You killed Goliath, you were supposed to get a wife. Then he said he was going to give her the girl. He took her away. Then he said you can have a wife. If you go field, kill the Philistines, you kill the Philistines. He comes back, he says he'll give you a wife, but now he wants you to go get foreskins from Philistines. Dude, it pleased yeah, David. That sounds good. I'll go do that. I get to be the king's son-in-law. I'm not even worthy. I'll go do it. This is a man who knew that God was on his side. And it didn't matter. Whatever he put in front of him, that's fine. God's in control. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then, king, then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, his wife. You know what I love about this? He asked for 100, he brought back 200. Right? You know, it says, it says in Matthew, you know, if, if a man asks you to go one mile with him, go two. If you ask for your inner garment, give, if you ask for outer garment, give, your, give him your inner garment too. You know what he's saying? Whatever the world expects of you, do twice as much. Whatever they ask of you, do it twice as well. Why? That God might be glorified. David was asked for 100, brought back 200. You know what, king? I want to honor you. This was not an honorable king, but he wanted to honor him 
anyway. David brings back double what the king asked. Last few verses. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. What had David done to become an enemy of Saul? He done nothing but serve him, minister to him, worship before him, be faithful and obedient to anything he asked him to do. And yet he's his enemy continually. Why? Because David is filled with the Holy Spirit and Saul doesn't know God. Guys, this is what's going to happen in the world when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. People that don't know God are going to be your enemy continually. Now, we're to reach out to them in love. Amen? We want to see them saved. But don't be surprised again. And again, it says last verse, Then the princes of the Philistines went to war, and so it was whenever they went that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Why did David's name become highly esteemed? He wasn't striving for it. He was just being obedient. He was just being faithful. He was just being willing. He was just being used by God. Let me close with this verse. It says in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God also has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Let this mind also be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the mind and heart of our Savior. This is the mind and heart of David, and it should be our mind and heart too. Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. Die to self. Be filled with Him. Let Him be glorified. Let Him be lifted up. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. So the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. The varying responses to one who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. A supernatural bond of love with other Spirit-filled believers. Recognition of God's hand upon us, upon your life from others. And then anger, jealousy, suspicion, fear, and even hatred from those who walk in the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, for Your love and Your grace. Lord, teach us to be humble like David. Lord, teach us the humility of our Savior. Lord, that being God, humbled Himself and became a man, even to the point of death upon the cross. And Lord, may we not be crying out when we think we've been unfairly treated. But Lord, instead, may we glorify You in our response. Lord, may we not overcome evil with evil, but may we overcome evil with good. Help us, Lord, to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.